Hi, welcome back to the VergeCast from Verge Now, a resource for creative and innovative ministry leaders just like you. I'm your host, Lisa Smith, the pastor and artistic director of Convergence, a creative community of faith in Alexandria, Virginia. And for today's podcast, I am very excited to welcome my special guests, Josh Hayden and Tom Lynch from First Baptist Church in Ashland, Virginia, and Mission Possible. But they are more than just colleagues, they are friends, because we have known each other a very long time. We were all actually in seminary together at the John Leland Center for Theological Studies several moons ago. I won't say many moons, but a couple anyway, maybe (laughs) ago, enough ago. When I started, I had hair. (laughs) Oh, wow. That was a long time then, huh? It was. (laughs) Well, um, welcome, guys. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> um, thank you for traveling all the way up from Richmond to to be here and be a part of this conversation with me. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, grateful for the chance to talk and visit and yeah, spend some time together. Yeah, definitely. Well, I thought because we are all um, graduates from the John Leland Center for Theological Studies, maybe we could do a, a little bit of a shout out to Leland and just uh, kind of, I think it's interesting that the three of us have taken the ministry paths that we have. And I think probably there's maybe we were attracted to Leland for some of these reasons and also the effect that that education has had on us has maybe played out in some of our ministry. And um, I was just curious if... Have you guys had anything to say about the way that um, theological education or maybe just even Leland had prepared you for kind of this changing religious landscape? Or do you feel prepared? Yeah, Josh, you want to go first or you want me to? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really encouraged by what's going on with Leland right now. Um, of course, they... Uh, uh, went through some major student attendance or not attendance, but uh, enrollment decline over the last several years. And I'm pretty excited for them that they are uh, uh, almost doubled their population evidently since the wow. last spring. Um, and uh, I think their new emphasis on um, uh, the, the catchphrase I've been hearing is your local seminary. So mm-hmm. trying to just create contextualized education um, is essential, I think, in the environment today. And for me, I think that's what I experienced with all of you. I mm-hmm. mean, it was the first time in my life that I felt like I had actually um, been taught to learn. And yeah. being in community in school setting was new for me. I mean, it didn't, rev- it didn't, uh, that community didn't evolve around uh, Michigan State football in this case. <laughs> it was like this authentic community where we hung out and talked and addressed things that were very real going on in life and yeah. in faith. And The Leland uh, basketball team was pretty good, though. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the football team <laughs> did. I mean, we never lost to any others. Uh, no, no. You're, you're talking, I don't know, Lisa. Oh, wait, was there a basketball team? Th- there was. Did I miss that? I was going to ask, did you? <laughs> I did not even know. Did you play in the student versus faculty basketball game ever? On the- oh, at the retreats yeah, or something? the students never lost a game. <laughs> wow. It helped that, you know. Impressive. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have our professors running around in blue jeans because, you know, they were really winding down that weekend. And <laughs> I think for me, one of the things that I appreciated about Leland is that um, – a lot of schools talk about being diverse mm. uh, culturally, mm-hmm. but many seminaries uh, talk about it but aren't actually diverse. Yeah, and you know, for me to study Plato's Republic with a man who uh, lived and grew up in Sierra Leone and watched his pastor and his father mm. be killed because of their faith, it really changes the way you read Plato. Yeah, the way you understand uh, how how life is shaped in community and with people, and so I'll never forget. You know, just the impact of being a twenty-something-year-old, a fresh out of college, reading Plato with people whose life experiences were so different than my own, and and that just changed the way I saw the world. Yeah. It opened me up to realize um, that my life experiences weren't everyone else's life experiences, and so that 
it set me on a different trajectory for the way I thought about God and the way I thought about what it looked like to live in community with people. Yeah. And so Leland was really helpful in sort of situating me in a community of folks who, um, yeah, engaged with art, who had life experiences of church that were really different from mine, theology that was different from mine, um, cultural experiences that were really different from mine. But I never sensed hostility in those conversations. Mm-hmm. There's this really generative kind of openness to figure out how to talk about those things in a way that built things up instead of tearing each other down. Right. Were, were any of us in Baptist history together? I'm With trying Dr. to- Dr. Cochran? Uh, yeah, I mean, Dr. Cochran coming in uh, dressed as John Leland or <laughs> other <Yeah. laughs> colonial Baptists was always fascinating. Um, but I was thinking of the diversity you were talking about. Like, I remember making this statement. I'm like, well, this is what Baptist worship is like. And the class, which was predominantly um, African-American uh, females, uh-huh. <laughs> like they were like, uh-uh, Tom. <laughs> they were like, we got, we, we're about to have an education for you. And it was the, like, it just blew my mind. Yeah. I would have those experiences regularly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say the same thing about learning how to think or and being given the space, given the tools, the resources to be able to kind of adapt in ministry and and the and the permission. I mean, I, I received a lot of permission to explore the theological artistic connections and the invitation to bring that into the classroom and to be able to share that with others. I, I think that environment of everyone being invited to share their experience, like you're talking about, and that that becomes then part of the education. I think that the environment and the ethos of what Leland is about or trying to do was definitely a good model for for the possibility of of really engaging with other people who are sometimes very different from ourselves in a deeply rooted historically Christian way, but understanding that there's a variety of histories within that um, has, I think, helped me to be able to bring my congregation and the people that I encounter into that kind of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things that I think was particularly unique about Leland is that because it was rooted in Northern Virginia, which is a really difficult place to move into, mm-hmm. to just, you're, you're not going to uproot your life and move there because it's super expensive. Right. Uh, as a pastor, you know that you're entering into an environment where financially it's not going to be an easy thing right. to do. Um, so not only was education affordable, but they actually encouraged you to actually be working and often in local churches. And so you were doing theology on the ground instead of theology in a a tower, which really shaped, um, you know, when you're reading Athanasius and also having to talk about that, for me, I was a student pastor at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it changes the way you, you, you read the stories of the monks from yeah. early centuries. Yeah. Um, but it actually helped me to appropriate that information in a way that changed me, but also uh, was relevant to young people who were trying to figure out what it meant to live out their faith when they felt like the world was so different. Right, yeah. And that that's a great one-liner too. Theology yeah. on the ground versus theology yeah. in the tower. <laughs> I like it. There you go, Leland. <laughs> yeah, in that, I mean, Leland, though, is a place, it was basically an incubator for you, right, Lisa? Oh, absolutely. I mean, figuring out convergence here. Oh, absolutely. And I remember yeah. doing, I mean, I just came to see the show, um, couldn't make the cast. It was pretty elite. <laughs> uh, the beams are creaking. Yeah, is that Bonhoeffer story, right? Yep, yep, that's right. Yeah. Well, I think that's all a really good segue into this conversation for today, um, which centers around this grant that we've received from the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, as you have also received a grant. Um, our, Our project is around reimagining worship and soulful community for rising generations. So basically looking at these reports, uh, the How We Gather reports out of Harvard, and also a book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, and um, and kind of looking at their, their thesis that millennials are changing the way that we gather as a culture, mm-hmm. and also at the same time, the religious landscape is changing dramatically, which you know, we knew, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and how those two things are, are um, 
impacting each other. But for me, as I started to read those reports, I was very encouraged and excited to see what they were finding about um, the fact that their conclusions are that millennials are seeking out actively what they're terming soulful community. They're they're seeking out the things that typically were found in churches, that kind of community experience, a place to sort of rigorously develop yourself, um, to have people uh, be in accountable relationship with one another. Only they're looking at places like CrossFit is the prime example. Um, or some of these other uh, places that we are interviewing with these podcasts like Group Muse or the Sanctuaries. Um, so the their challenge is sort of to these organizations that are, are trying, you know, or like an exercise organization, a gym, I guess. <laughs> so that's how much I know about gyms. <laughs> Tells you right there. But they're starting to meet. This exercise ball is very comfortable, by the way. <laughs> yes, we're working out right now. Um, so these gyms uh, are, are ending up in a position where they are sometimes starting to move into a place where they're having to be doing pastoral care. Yes. but maybe not equipped to do that. And then on the other hand, you've got churches who have all of these resources and these training, um, but are not successfully connecting with the people who are really searching that out. So this series of conversations is just to kind of um, allow us as a congregation, as we're looking to how we ca- how can we do this better? How can we take on this question of how we might be willing to change or reinvent ourselves? And we met as a group a couple weeks ago to sort of flesh out questions that we have to either ask millennials or ask the experts who are engaging um, this community uh, successfully or in a meaningful way. And for us, um, one of the, the questions that we kind of have wrestled with or talked a little bit about is why millennials? But I would just say that I think you know these needs that are coming to the surface from this particular generation are needs that all of us have. It's just it seems that they refuse to settle for anything other than the thing. And also the fact that they are changing the culture and we are all a part of that culture. So we have to engage that in some way. Um, so that's kind of the the groundwork of what we're doing. And I'm excited to have you guys here because you've been involved in ministry for a long time. You've worked with youth for a long time. You've worked with lots of different organizations and lots of different people in that. So I feel like you probably have a really, you have some perspective, shall we say. <laughs> so I'm going to, I want to do one more thing and then I'll let you guys talk. Um, so Josh Hayden is the senior minister at First Baptist Ashland, and Tom Lynch is the pastor of Students and Family Life at First Baptist Ashland. And they are also the co-founders of something called Mission Possible, which is a really exciting initiative project organization that started how long ago? How long was it? 2011. I think that's right. A while. 2011. Yeah. Almost 10 years. Okay. So that's that's really cool. I want to read your your mission statement for Mission Possible or this blurb, because I, I really love it. It says, Mission Possible is an attempt at event art. It is a shared common experience that invites individual and group reflection on art, justice, and the mission of God to restore the world to the wholeness Christ intends. The major assumption behind Mission Possible is suppose for a moment that God created a good creation and that we have been given all that we need. Suppose it isn't a lack of resources, but a lack of imagination that prevents the people of God from being on mission with God. The artists give us a shared language in which to describe and speak about God's mission. The mission is the foundation for all that we do and ways that we live in the world. Justice is simple, yet tangible. Justice is a simple, yet tangible way we can be on mission with God. I love that. I wish I had written that. <laughs> uh, I just, I really resonate with that uh, from Convergence's perspective and sort of where our heart is. So tell us about Mission Possible before we get into this uh, millennial conversation. I mean, this is primarily for young people. So t- tell me about Mission Possible. Yeah, Josh, you want to take that? Because, I mean, it really starts with this question. Yeah, so 
um, at the time when we were sort of imagining and watching, um, so we were imagining what it might look like to live into the mission of God while we were working with young people. Uh, Tom and I were working at different churches and we were part of a network of churches in Northern Virginia that were trying to figure out how to wrestle with so many students just fleeing from the church. Uh, if you were lucky, you might have had them for a little bit of time in middle school before they had options to do other mm. things. And then by high school and college, church was really the last place that they were looking to develop deep community, deep roots. Yeah. Um, they wanted formation. They wanted to be a part of something meaningful. But they were thinking that churches and the institutions that represent church were often the last place they would go. Right. And so we were watching these young people who we loved and cared for uh, just just abandon the church. And um, we realized that churches often try to create better programs or widgets to get them to come back instead of actually asking, are we communicating good news in a way that they can understand? Mm. And so we so we wrestled with that a little bit. We thought about what, what might it look like for us to create a space where young people who are having more tools available to them than ever to be creative, what if we actually created a space where young people could help us imagine the world as God had always hoped it might look like. And so uh, what we did is we gathered some other youth workers who were willing to be creative and do something beyond just, um, you know, bring in a special Christian speaker that right. has a, with a special Christian band. Yeah. And instead um, actually find artists, filmmakers, poets, um, musicians, um, Graphic designers, farmers, yeah, uh, wow. store owners, yep, business people, yeah, government leaders, yeah, and um, who were living out three really like kind of core central mm. values for us, which were they were in, either engaging or creating art. Uh, they were interested in justice, which mm -hmm. for us means that they are in proximity to people who. Um, have experienced either oppression or suffering based on the mm -hmm. culture that they've been a part of or mm -hmm. grew up with. And for us, uh, people who are living out the mission of God, that mm -hmm. it isn't just about how do we get to heaven after we die, right. but how do we actually live into God's work here on earth and join in the work that God's already up to that churches are often asleep at the wheel about. Right. And so um, we, it really came, like Mission Possible was birthed out of this desire to help young people to know that God sees them and cares about mm -hmm. them and that there's room at the table for them. And so uh, we imagined a one day, we had a we had this like religious nonprofit come to us with some money and resources and they're like, they really gave us free reign to create something. And so we did, we basically said, look, if we can only do this once, we're gonna go for it. I mean, we invited yeah. everybody we could. And I mean, we, yeah, we spent like, Ten, fifteen thousand dollars on the first one. <laughs> wow! <laughs> we partnered with the uh, International Justice Mission, um, which is the largest uh, anti-human trafficking nonprofit in the world today, and um, yeah, kind of couched it that first event in anti-trafficking mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. um, but we realized people, like Josh mentioned, all these artists that we would bring around. I mean, and to this day. We bring in woodworkers still, potters, people throwing clay in the middle of the worship <laughs> services, um, or the potter throwing clay, not everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> that would make for a new sort that of mission possible. Yeah, yeah. It might be. Um, uh, spoken uh, word artists. Spoken word artists, um, obviously musicians, but the, the artists themselves, like the, um, the, the little statement that you read from Lisa talked about the artists giving us a common language. Mm -hmm. We realized just because of the diversity, theological diversity within the church as a whole and where people were coming to shared experiences together, they were they were bringing such uh, eclectic and diverse backgrounds that we were like, well, how do, how do we speak mm -hmm. in, how mm -hmm. do we create a common space for us to have an experience together? That's not divisive. That is um, collaborative, really. Right. That's creative together, and uh, uh, we realized that the arts were um, that language mm -hmm. that would be able to create that space. So, one of the things I like to often say 
in describing that to people is um, take the Mona Lisa for for instance. You could uh, you the three of us could walk up to the Mona Lisa mm. and we could share the experience of seeing it hanging on the wall, but we all bring a different um, response to that piece of art right. by watching it and um, uh, thinking about it and engaging with it on the wall. And so we have something in common. Hey, we did this together. And the artist gave us a chance to um, have a focal point together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can describe the emotions that we experience um, as individuals. We can describe using different words, our own words, right, uh, um, what right. that's like. And so the artists do that for us at these mm-hmm. events for Mission Possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes because of how big the problems feel in life, um, it is easy for us to just sort of toss up our hands and say, I mean, what's the use? Yeah. Is, is there a point to all this? And what artists help us to do is they spark our imagination to believe that there is another way of seeing yeah. the world possible. Yeah. And sometimes that's through uh, inducing lament mm-hmm. and grief and making room for the pain that exists in the world. Yeah. Lament is so important right now. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes it's also like uh, showing us something so beautiful that you can't help but think that it's worth putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Hmm. And so um, we really believe that artists were our core way to sort of dislodge our slumber mm. as the church. Mm. Wow, and, that's another great phrase. I'm going to have to take notes on all of this <laughs> and steal it. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Yeah. <laughs> Drink the Josh Hayden linguistic yes. Kool-Aid, there you everybody. Go. <laughs> Thank you for the language. And so... And so um, we believe that, that that's what great art does. It, mm. it helps us to wake up. And so, so because of that, uh, and because churches back in the day, like artists were like church created some of the best art mm-hmm. that helped spark that new way of right. being in the world. And the church over time just lost that voice. Yeah. Um, and, and perhaps the church never truly lost it. It just mm. moved outside of the institutional church right. bounds. And so for us, we wanted to say to young people, hey, like we realize that by sharing in these creative experiences together that we might see God in each other in a different way. Yeah. And and I think core to that is not just the art in and of itself, which is which is important. Um, and it could be it, mm-hmm. but we also realize that connected to that for young people is that they are tired of participating in religious activities that mm. don't actually bring about transformation. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that, that kind of leads into my first, I think it's my first real question. Um, so it seems to me as I'm kind of studying millennials, some of the things that you were talking about have have come to the front one there is this overwhelming sense i think of of hopelessness which is also per- starting to pervade our culture of feeling like all all aspects of the world could end at any moment really like there there isn't much hope for some for some people and then there are other people who are very driven to achieve the perfect life or what looks like the perfect life and are really struggling um especially when that does not pan out the way that that it was intended. But underlying all of that, to me, it seems like, and I think the How We Gather reports are saying, that there is this major hunger, thirst, whatever, spiritually, that is present within. And I think what's what's different about millennials is that they are actively seeking out, they're open to answers. Like the openness, to me, seems much greater than when I was a teenager or a young adult or even 10 years ago. Um, they're not shutting it down. Like you said, they just would never, church would not even come on their radar as a place that you yeah. would look for that. I mean, do you, do you, would you say that that's an accurate statement that there is this hunger and thirst among millennials or younger people for spiritual things? I, I think what I'm seeing is, uh, uh, there is a there is a thirst for those. There's still this uh, deep suspicion of institutions and and religion. Um, I mean, the Christian li- religion in our context, Christian spirituality, has been the the dominant uh, story 
And so sometimes it's been an agent of oppression too. And younger people are savvy about that. Like they're aware. Um, I teach a class at Virginia Commonwealth University right now on social work and oppressed groups. Mm. And um, they're, they're deeply sensitive to that. But there's this general openness towards spirituality. Um, and I think some of the data that I've been seeing, um, and I wish I could recall numbers right now, but Chris Folmsby's done some really good work. He's, um, what's it, Church of Resurrection out of Kansas City. He's done some, um, he's pulled some really interesting data together about where millennials are at. And they're really interested in Jesus. Hmm. Um, so spirituality, um, and then for us, uh, this is why the mission of of Christ is so important too, um, to see all things restored to their intended wholeness. Right. Um, like that is something that resonates with them deeply. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the ways that the hopelessness has pervaded our culture and the kind of the general suspicion that millennials have sort of, um, made it almost impossible for us to look around anymore mm-hmm. as a culture, as a whole, and definitely within churches, is that I actually think it's been passed down from other generations too, mm-hmm. but it wasn't talked about. Right. So I, you know, and in our context, we we worship regularly on, on almost any given Sunday, we will have folks in their mid nineties mm-hmm. and infants. Mm-hmm. And so we're worshiping regularly five to six generations of people together right. on a regular basis. And I have, which is unusual in mm. and of itself today. Mm. To just be in a room with that many generations right, right, regularly right. doesn't happen very often. And I will sit with uh, 70 and 80 year olds who are like, yeah, we just don't really feel like the work that we do is really gonna make a difference. Mm. I don't yeah. think there's really much yeah. hope for younger generations. We failed them or we just can't change fast enough to catch up. Mm-hmm. And then you have young people who are like, yeah, I don't think my voice matters. There's not room at the table for me here. Yeah. Uh, if I really want to do something that matters, I need to go outside of the normal institutions. And so you you get to this impasse together where you feel like, well, is it even worth trying? Right. W- which is not true. Yeah. But it's a, a very consistent feeling that we've experienced with with people not just uh, not just millennials and younger, yeah. but also yeah. even some of our. Uh, kind of more seasoned adults. Yeah, yeah. I w- I would say that I've I've seen that too. Yeah, yeah. But that's why this whole uh, I think movement towards kind of reclaiming this biblical vision of what it means to be human, what the narrative for you know the trajectory of the human race. You know, there's this need for this just infusion on a level. You talked about language. I think that's a big piece of it too is like having the language where we're saying the thing and not the code word for the thing absolutely uh it's you know rabbi heschel who says that words create worlds right yeah and so um if if the only narrative that's being offered is that this isn't really going to make a difference or the only way to make a difference is if you can do it in one fell swoop or in a short Mm -hmm. period of time then yeah there isn't hope yeah, but if we actually can begin to say that there's, I, I'm deeply encouraged by a renewed focus on habits, on mm-hmm, the way that people understand mm-hmm. that things that we do each day, right, actually shape who we are, right, and who we're becoming, right. And so one of the things that I think millennials are going to have to help us all be more aware of, and you know, the research is starting to show that the way we engage with technology mm-hmm. uh, is shaping and reshaping the way that we think, the way yep. we understand community. Yeah. And so, I think there's a lot of hope there. But if we don't actually use those words and we don't allow both the grief and the hope of beauty through artists to sh- mm. to get us there, I, I think it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. So that's really that's really interesting because we're talking about the challenge. Uh, and the the that sense of hopelessness or or learn or yearning and longing from millennials, but you're also bringing up the sense of hopelessness and yearning and longing from within the church and especially church leaders. There's a I wanted to read this quote from the Something More report. They said uh, too many institutional leaders, having devoted their lives to their community, feel as if they failed when numbers shrink. This has led to a culture of shame. 
Yet in a society so rapidly transformed by technology and globalization, it's no wonder that our religious lives, too, are changing. And they say, we invite leaders across traditions to tune their hearts to a new key of imagination and hope, exploring the unexpected ways that their decades of experience may yet bear fruit. I find that very hopeful. And it is exactly what you're saying. I think that's interesting if we can instead tune our ears as ministry leaders to the both the challenges and the hope that we may be able to learn. I mean, we can learn how to be the church that the world needs by listening to listening to them there's a there's a there's a gift of of language that a friend gave me one time that part of part of this cultural moment that we might be in is that we may be uh, planting seeds for trees whose shade we may not get to enjoy in our lifetime yeah and i think um that is that is true um some of it is just in this cultural moment um with with such rapid change mm-hmm. that is happening within our culture as a whole, and of course, church always reflects culture too. Yeah, uh, there's there's moments of transcendence, but there's it's always locally, relationally, culturally embodied. Yeah, and and in this moment, there there's things that we may talk about together even today that we're not going to get to enjoy. Yeah. And maybe our children or grandchildren will get to experience it in a in a truer, fuller sense. Yeah. But we we may actually just be laying the, fr- the the groundwork, the framework, planting some seeds for things that might not emerge for yeah. generations to come. Yeah. Well, and sometimes that's a lot to chew on for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's some of the concepts we're even talking about are like really thirty thousand foot view, mm. big picture. Um, Sorry, that's where I live. <laughs> No, I I, can't, I, I can't love have a normal there. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I love living there myself. Um, <laughs> I drive but even crazy. when we're talking about like the generations to come, it's yeah. like, well, that just blows my mind. Like, I can barely make it through today. Right. Or you want me to come to church on Sunday? Like, <laughs> I don't know if have I slept this week. I'm, yeah, I'll find out this weekend if I slept this week. Right. Um, and so Josh said something that I think is really important. Um, like a tangible expression of the way that we can really live this out now that impacts those generations to mm-hmm. come. And as ministry leaders helping connect the dots between those habits mm-hmm. that are happening, yeah. like literally it's it's Thursday. What are the habits that I'm yep. living out today and how that forms us? Because that actually has, I mean, in biblical language, more eternal right. Um, uh, repercussions, but it just has uh, this long echo throughout time, yeah. time behind us and in front of us. Yeah. And so um, I think some of the ways that church has taught this to previous generations has been deeply focused on things, at least in the Baptist tradition. Um, do you wake up and have a quiet time, which means did you wake up, open your Bible and read your scripture? And then did you spend 15 minutes in prayer? Right. And so these are the spiritual habits that echo throughout eternity. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think we were missing some other important habits. Um, I mean, we were talking about Mission Possible a little, just a short time ago, um, related to justice and justice for for Mission Possible is all about proximity. And mm-hmm. that that deeply comes out of reading of scripture. Mm-hmm. And so proximity is all about drawing near to those that are hurting, the, mm-hmm. those that are oppressed and those that are in grief or those that are lonely, mm-hmm. um, those that are joyful. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like to intervene in those spaces? If we can practice daily making a habit of drawing near uh, drawing mm-hmm. close, having close proximity to a friend that's hurting or a spouse that's hurting um, or, you know, talking with Generation Z all the time as I do now <laughs> and uh, uh, students that are sitting alone at a cafeteria table. This has been happening for mm, decades and right, decades. Right. Um, but what does it look like to say our habit can be about proximity yeah. to each other? Um, Josh loves to say, um, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. And so leaning into uh, uh, grief and sorrow and sadness are not my go-tos. I'm like, <laughs> run away, run away. <laughs> um, 
but he's like, you know, it only gets better if we lean into those relationships, right. which that's about proximity. Mm-hmm. And so like, I've tried to make it in my own habit mm-hmm. to say, all right, this is hard. Um, is this a place I need to draw near? Right. Uh, I think one of the tremendous gifts that millennials have helped us to kind of wrestle through the the implications of proximity is that they have demonstrated with their feet that if if churches are not going to be places where that can happen, where mm-hmm. we're going to draw near to each other in deep relationship, then 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 they'll go. Yeah. And it's not because they don't want it; it's because they want it so desperately. But if churches are more committed to their programs and events and not about real relationships, yeah. where transformation is possible, um, then they just they're not going to stick around forever, and they're and they're patience threshold is much right m- much lower right and I, and I feel like because of the incredible saturation of information that Millennials have at their disposal mm-hmm. and churches have that too it often leads to churches becoming immobile they just get paralyzed by that space right. and say there's just too much we don't know what to do so they even get scared to try an experiment, whereas right. a millennial is like, that could be one of the greatest gifts they give us to say, look, in this saturation of information where we don't know how to figure out how mm-hmm. to be in community, uh, let's at least try. Yeah. Let's experiment a little bit. And they're more willing to, um, I would say, act on faith yeah. that maybe with this little thing could actually blossom into something else. Yeah. Um, and, and that means that that faith communities have to be more willing to create experimentative spaces. Isn't that convergence? (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, well, we're definitely exploring. I mean, like you guys are really open to that and kind of trying to, yeah, find our way in it too. Um, Yeah. I mean, that was going to be the next question is how, how can we then as churches support, support this change and what gets in the way? Like how can we connect, uh, you know, create that space for millennials, for all of us. And what's getting in the way of that at this point, would you say? So I'm a, I'm a a, a kind of big believer that if you set out to just win millennials, they will sniff it out Mm -hmm. and they will say, it's been real. Good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) And they'll never really spend time with you. Um, I, I believe that you have to learn to love what they love, mm. uh, to truly live in proximity and start to actually orient some of your own heart to care about what they care about yeah. in your contextual space. So for us, we're in Ashland, Virginia, which has self-proclaimed center of the universe. So <laughs> it's great to be up here in Alexandria, but <laughs> I wonder what it's like to be able to... <laughs> long to be in the center of the universe with us is the gravity <laughs> stronger or weaker in the center of the universe Gosh, are you guys able to breathe up can here you do another this? podcast with a um uh with a physicist physicist we will get to the bottom i've now this, ventured outside my area of expertise <laughs> let's go back <laughs> um so for us we're right outside of richmond uh capital of the confederacy uh one of the major kind of slave trading blocks uh, it's turned into a farmer's market. Hmm. I think there's a little like maybe one foot by six inch sign that uh-huh. sort of <laughs> helps you to remember that. Right. And that's the jail. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, one of the major things that we've realized in our context is that we have to actually be willing to talk about the hard things that um, are making it difficult for us to live in community together. Mm-hmm. And so it actually led us to apply for Calvin Grant as mm-hmm. well with a, a, a historically black Baptist church two blocks from us mm-hmm. that in our 160 years of existence, and there are 158 years, we never actually worshiped together. Wow. As the two largest Baptist congregations, yeah. both committed to Jesus, had never worshiped together until last year. Wow. And uh, in, in a community uh, that proclaims itself to be the center of the universe, uh, we really struggle to have meaningful conversations around race, mm-hmm. different cultures, um, without being so polarized that we can't even sit at the same table together. Yeah. And so one of the big reasons why we applied for a grant is because we've developed friendships. And out of that friendships, we said, what might it look like for us to be more intentional in those friendships together? Right. And um, 
because we really felt like if we didn't become the kinds of places where millennials would say, uh, they're not just talking about wanting to be a thoughtful, mm -hmm. welcoming, more inclusive community, uh, it, because it's one thing to talk about, it's another thing to yeah. live it. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to demonstrate with our with our with our bodies, with our mm -hmm. with our lives, with our friendships that that, mm -hmm. that we wanted to be those kinds of people together. Yeah. And uh, and we knew it was gonna take hard work and frustrations and yeah. disagreements and not always being on the same page. Mm -hmm. But um, so we applied for a grant because we can't ask a culture of millennials who are suspicious of us which also means that they're suspicious of, of Jesus mm -hmm. to engage in those conversations if we're not willing to do it ourselves. Yeah. And so we, it, it's kind of a old school way of just saying, look, we, you got to live it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got to walk it before you talk it. I mean, right. it, it's really simple, but millennials are so suspicious of religious institutions yeah. talking about stuff, having Bible studies about it, but they actually don't know anybody who's a different race than them. Right, right. They don't actually like share a meal. Yeah. Have people to their house. Yeah. Relate in ways that real friends would relate to each right. other. And so uh, it was really important to us that we create, we, we live this out before we yeah. invite other people to <laughs> think of us in a certain way. Yeah, that that has been a real challenge for for me as I've thought about that just again doing research on millennials you know they're from a marketing standpoint they are are pushing uh, companies to to be more values driven so their choices for what how they're purchasing how they're living have more to do with their values and feet on the ground impact and a vision for the future that seems to be at least proclaim what they're all about. And yet they're not choosing to be with churches. So that, you know, it can't, <laughs> we must be doing something wrong is the, is the bottom line there. You know, if, if they're all about values and we say, we all say we share some of those values and yet they're not finding us to be legitimate partners in that. Well, isn't it, isn't it the regular um, uh, reason for not wanting to be connected to a church, typically hypocrisy? I mean, I, I mm -hmm. feel like I've seen that statistic and data and mm -hmm. surveys and evaluations mm -hmm. over and over for years. And so if your values driven and yet you don't live it out, mm -hmm. is it any wonder that millennials are like, well, yeah. Think about what it might look like for there to be a swath of churches to say, we've been getting it wrong. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Hmm. I mean, I mean, it's profound for you to say, instead of pointing the finger, it's millennials' yeah, fault for exactly, not buying yeah. into the programs they we've offered commit, now. They can't commit, they can't, yeah. If they would just show up, right. don't they realize that what we're doing right. is for They're them? They're self-centered, yeah. yeah. They would mm -hmm. just get over themselves. They want to take vacation. They want to do all this stuff, <laughs> right? right? They, they want to raise their families. Yeah. <laughs> they want to be with you their kids. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and their spouses. And, you know, um, one of the big things that, you know, uh, that I've read that millennials are really struggling with is just strictly the amount of debt that they have to carry mm -hmm. um, and almost the impossibility of getting an education mm -hmm. and uh, having a job that will allow them to live out their values and be able to pay off the massive amounts of debt that they right. incurred usually before they even know what they're doing. Yeah. And so um, what what would it look like for churches to more regularly say, hey, we, we actually, we, we've mm -hmm. messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we've been talking about something, but we actually haven't lived it. Yeah. Yeah, and and to name that more publicly on a regular basis, what what might that do to build trust and decrease the amount of suspicion? Mm -hmm. When instead of saying, "If you would just be quiet and listen to us, we've got it figured out. Right. We've been reading the Bible for two thousand years, and we have all the answers." Right, right. To actually say, <laughs> "Yeah, what if we entered into that deep space of lament mm -hmm. right now?" I mm -hmm. mean, something we we like to ignore oftentimes. Yeah. One of the ways that we've been trying to kind of kind of prophetically live that out and what I mean by prophetic is like truth telling mm -hmm. like um 
uh, is to actually like one of our values is unity. Now, unity mm-hmm. is a word that I think can be misused to say that you are all uniform. Right. So we talk about as unity without uniformity in our context. So the goal isn't to have everybody look or be the same, but to actually say in our differences, we're going to choose to stay in relationship with each other as best we can. Yeah. Knowing that sometimes we have different lines of, of what it means to stay. And we would never encourage people to stay in unhealthy or abusive right. or oppressive relationships. Um, but to say it's so important for us to remain close to each other and to try to work towards something bigger than ourselves that we're willing to even lay down our own preferences for what worship mm-hmm. looks like, what it means to live in relationship, how we're going to live in community. And, and for us, the expectations are the most kind of emotionally and spiritually mature of us bear the greatest burden of responsibility to go there. Mm. It's not someone else's job to fix it. It's not the millennial's job to show up and do it. Although sometimes the millennial is the most spiritually and emotionally mature and they do bear responsibility to create spaces. You know, I'm I'm a white guy. And so for me, I, I bear a different kind of responsibility because of the amount of um, opportunities that I've been afforded because of the culture that I come from. And so there's an even greater responsibility for me to lay down and, and sort of own the burden of responsibility to create spaces for people to see and hear each other. Um, it's not it's not the job of my African-American friend to come into a white space and, and figure that out. Mm-hmm. It's not the job of a young millennial to come in and figure that out. It's it's my job living into the mission of God to create the best space possible mm-hmm. for those conversations to happen and to move closer to each other and to make room for the person that we perceive as the other to actually perhaps maybe even change the way we see the world yeah. and understand God. Yeah. But that means you go in with a sense that we're better together than we are apart mm-hmm. and that there's things that I can learn from my neighbor about God even when I may be further down the road or have been in a religious context for a longer period of time yeah. than they have. Yeah, I love that, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking, it, it's interesting, the shape of these conversations, these podcast conversations, and kind of uh, talking about very specific pieces of the puzzle and then sort of landing in this space with you guys to think theologically about it and to go deeper from a church perspective or like you said the people who are in those positions of responsibility and authority and just the level of sacrifice that it may take you know you were talking about the generational like the taking the long view that a lot of this work may be seed planting for future generations and i think i experience both that sense of like oh that's overwhelming but also it points to a sense of urgency because we're that far along this path that we're not even going to see fruit right now. Like it's on the, you know, we're flickering in our, in our light at this point. And so, you know, maybe there's hope there too for motivating congregations to move to this, to this space of, of laying down preference and we know it all, but there is so much, it seems to be, um, I don't know, maybe unlearned or um, to move deeper into. And maybe this kind of proximity thing is a piece of that too to help us open our perspectives. I I mean, uh, can I get a little political on here for Uh, a minute? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) The views expressed. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not a a lawyer or a judge and – the Arizona Supreme Court just ruled um, that a Christian business doesn't have to provide their services to a um, couple that was getting married of the same sex. Um, They didn't have to provide services for that couple because of their religion. And so I don't, I don't know the legalities of all of this and, the Arizona Supreme Court's um, decision. But when we talk about living out values, I mean, the story Josh and I were just talking about coming up here, to me, the story looks very much like a lunch counter during Mm. 
Jim Crow and segregation. Whereas I'm going to deny this person services based on their race because I don't want to serve them. Mm -hmm. And so when we begin to identify as a larger Christian religion, um, that this would violate my spirituality, my religion, because of um, uh, uh, who these people are, um, and I can deny them services. I mean, we identify with a story then that we've heard echoed over and over and over. And so whether it's uh, uh, legal or not legal, I mean, we're actually proclaiming our values. And so every time one of these court cases appears in the news or um, uh, a decision is made and it spreads throughout our communities, um, if we're not uh, really creating space at the table, um, as, as Jesus did, then we continue to find ourselves in an old, very mm-hmm. exclusive story. Mm-hmm. Um, one that uh, uh, I think the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has often led um, the followers of Jesus on from. Um, yeah. And millennials do sniff that out. Well, and this goes to, uh, you know, leadership and the, the faith or the 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 brand of or piece of faith that has been taught. I mean, I think this is another accountability thing, I think from a leadership perspective of evaluating what what do our, con- you know, forget about people who aren't in church, what do the people who are in church actually need that we've equated being faithful with being able to check a certain set of beliefs about what it means to be a Christian. And, you know, I think in these cases, these people genuinely a thousand percent believe that they are being faithful to and responsible to what they what they know to be what it means to be a christian and it's unfortunate that in my opinion that that's what they feel like it means to be a christian that instead of loving your neighbor being the the thing there are these you know other other things you know without getting I mean, this is a huge conversation but i think this is this is goes back to that opportunity that we're talking about of being in proximity um being you know being biblical i mean there's it, it goes to that spiritual emptiness i think that is probably present in a lot of churches and i think that's easily demonstrated by the amount of people who have left church for a variety of reasons who are still seeking spiritually or still even consider themselves christians but need more um, to be able to feed them. So again, this kind of goes back to my my sort of premise that, yeah, looking at millennials, millennials are changing the way we gather, but what they're asking for is what we should all be demanding and asking for, which is, you know, a meaty, meaty faith that changes my my life, my community, my world, and kind of creates the culture that that we're designed to live in. I think there's a there's an element of the good news of the gospel that has been readily discarded, and, and perhaps because Christianity has been a, a a dominant narrative in our culture since its inception. I mean, since the United States was founded, with clear blind spots mm-hmm. right around race, culture, colonialism, things like that. Um, there's an element that I think, especially in the last 50 years, we don't talk about very often, which is what does it look like to actually embrace the cross as a pathway to new mm-hmm. life? And I think this is actually something that can help um, ask meaningful questions across generations, millennials and uh, older adults and everyone in between. Um, what does it look like to actually lay down some of our preferences for what it looks like to gather? What does it look like to actually lay down some of our preferences for styles of music? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to lay down some of our preferences for uh, other elements of worship that help us to connect or learning styles or uh, ways of seeing the world? How do we actually tangibly lay down our preferences, embrace the cross, for and with each other as a pathway to hear good news, mm-hmm. to well, live good news. Yeah, I mean, that's my my point too, even outside of a worshiping context, is mm. like, okay, so wherever you fall um, on this line for those, this business out in Arizona, 
what does it look like to lay down your preferences in order to just love your neighbor yeah. and be like, let me lean into a relationship here um, as if. The, I mean, the, the stories of Jesus around the table, right, are often with people who religious insiders said Jesus shouldn't be spending time with right. them. And so a core part of the gospel is that um, without judgment, and we don't, we don't know what folks Jesus thought were okay and which ones he mm -hmm. thought maybe were living in sin. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that he still made room at the table for every one of them. Right. And the point was being at the table for the, having the opportunity to be transformed by love rather than uh, not serving your enemy. Right. Proximity was very close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and if you look at the call stories of people who Jesus invited to follow, like Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus didn't go, well, get your church clothes on first, mm -hmm. uh, get your life together, stop exploiting your neighbor, and then you can follow me. Mm -hmm. He went to Matthew in the tax collector booth and said, all right, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> follow. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to get all of his doctrine lined up first. Mm -hmm. And doctrine's important. I'm not denying any of those things, mm -hmm. but... There's a difference, and, and, and I think, again, this is where millennials are helpful. They, uh, they emphasize relationship before mm. doctrine rather mm. than doctrine before relationship. Right. I mean, the old way we used to talk about it is like they Belong want people before to, you believe. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so how do we create better spaces where that's possible? Yeah. And, and in my experience, people just don't know each other's stories. And because of the lack of proximity, it's easier to throw stones at people that you don't yeah. like. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, if you were almost like boil down the, the bulk of Brene Brown's like amazing work, it's mm -hmm. like, it's really hard to hate people close up. Yeah, yeah. So like move in. Yeah. Like get closer. Yeah. This is what I loved about convergence when it started. Um, uh, doesn't seem that long ago, but it's getting <laughs> longer, <laughs> um, is that created space. I mean, artists had by and large felt rejected by mm. the church. And so convergence created space um, for people to belong, mm -hmm. um, whether they believed or not at the time or would believe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's something beautiful in having a seat at the table and this community, um, said, you know what, we're going to embrace you so much that we're even going to pour in our own financial resources, time mm. resources, um, grassroots resources, uh, our positional power in order to create space for you to belong. And um, uh, I think that's at First Baptist Ashland, that's something we've tried to do. It looks a lot different. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're mm -hmm. not trying to just create space for artists to belong. Mm -hmm. um, but to let our community know that we're for them. Yeah. Um, and so when the local high school uh, calls us um, semi-regularly now uh, to say we need something, mm. we're just like, okay, we're going to do our best that we can to make sure that that's possible yeah. for you. And and before they ever would call us, we we paid attention first. Mm -hmm. And so we we did all that we could to say – it's one thing to say, if if you need us, we'll be there. It's another thing to be there right. even before they ask. Yeah. So when hard things were happening, when teachers were being arrested for sexual misconduct, mm. when students died suddenly mm. out of tragedy, when when uh, there's transitions of leadership and staff, like we didn't wait to be invited. We just showed up with love. Yeah. We'd bring donuts for the staff knowing that it was going to be a hard day. Yeah. We'd offer proximity of relationship and they could relate on terms that made sense to them. Yeah. And now they call because there's trust. Right. And, yeah, and, and so, so much of this is, you know, thinking with eyes that God is already at work before you, mm -hmm. outside of you, outside of the church, mm -hmm. like God is on mission and our job is to, is to wake up yeah. to have eyes and ears that hear and see so that we can join in that mission that God's up to. Um, and and over time, uh, in my experience, people, Richard Rohr kind of says it like this, like people behave their way into mm. new ways of thinking. They don't think their way into right. new ways of it's living. It's habits thing again. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
I think young people are recognizing that they're completely overwhelmed by the amount of things vying for their imagination, mm-hmm. for their attention. And so part of what churches can do to be a resource mm-hmm. to millennials and to e- themselves mm-hmm. is to actually kind of be curators. Yeah, yep. Um, and and to recognize that our, our work is to like make space to help distill out of this massive sea of resources that yeah. there are some voices that perhaps are a little better to pay attention to and some that you can allow to, to run by. Yeah. And, and that you have to be really careful in, in that statement. Like I'm, I'm not acting like we have a, uh, we have like an exclusive ability to see beauty mm-hmm. or truth. Um, we don't. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we don't. Okay. I won't, I won't try and sell that. (laughs) (laughs) But, but we, that's really why churches were created in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. We believe that there's a way of living that is, is healthy and good and true and beautiful for the world that, that extends the table rather than making it more and more difficult for people to know that they belong and that there's a God who, who made them. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it's just really important for us to like m- make spaces for for people to learn those kinds of habits that will retrain them to believe that hope is is real, yeah, and tangible. This uh, this has been such a a great conversation listening to you both, um, and you just said some things that are that are very uh, prophetic that are hinting towards some stuff for convergence too. So I. It makes me really encouraged and happy to know that you all are in ministry at the center of the world radiating out. <laughs> <laughs> of the universe. Of the universe. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the center of the universe. Um, but I think it is I think it is also encouraging, and this is one of the things that I hope that comes out of this podcast too, is to hear other people's stories, to encourage those in ministry who see something beyond what always has been and to be able to to share, yes, you can. Yes, it's okay. Yes, keep pushing. You're not alone. So I really appreciate you all, the work that you're doing and your willingness to share that and to keep keep on keeping on. Is any any final thoughts or words before we uh, close our conversation? I have I have two. Uh, one I think uh, to summarize for me is that it, it's really important for churches right now to um, help people see out outside of um, the either or the us and them the in the out the the polar opposites. Um, and occupy the space between those, mm-hmm. um, this third way of, of living and being. Uh, when people tell you there's only two ways as a church or an institution or even in your relationships, um, what does it look like to draw near to each other in order to find this third way? Mm-hmm. Because that's where we can collaborate together and we can work together. Right. Um, and then the other is all five-star podcasts, uh, uh, they always point out that the producer rocks so dan you you are you are incredible man i love the way you've been lifting up papers behind my head so that lisa knows how much time's left he I is mean, the man this is incredible operation dan beautiful beautiful work thank you um i, I, I want to say thanks for having us on it's always a it's always a gift to have a chance to kind of step back for a moment and reflect on the ways that God has been at work. And um, I, I do think that there's there's a bit of refining going on within mm-hmm. what it means to be church, um, some pruning, so that maybe mm-hmm. instead of mere survival, churches will actually learn how to thrive and be productive to bear fruit that lasts. Um, but I think uh, part of that journey for us as institutions is going to have to be learning how to lay down some of our, our own preferences and embrace the cross again. Mm. And and perhaps even let some things die and go mm-hmm. in order to experience new life. Uh, we always talk about, you know, you don't experience resurrection from already living. Mm. There has to be some things that we let go of. And so yeah. sometimes that's worldviews. Sometimes that's our perception of our neighbor. Um and so the proximity of relationships is really important because it's what allows some way of being in the world to go away so that we can experience new life together. And so um, I, I'm really hopeful, uh, uh, for better or worse, like God has said that the church is part of how new mm-hmm. life is birthed in the world. And so we want to 
we have a tremendous amount of hope, even though it's going to be some hard work. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you both very much. And thank you all for listening. This has been an exciting journey and we still have many more conversations to go. So if you haven't listened to the interview with Lindsay Hayes on technology and faith practices or Sam Bodkin of Group Muse and using technology to gather in space for um, communal experiences around art, and and then we're getting ready to talk with Eric Martinez Wesley of the Sanctuaries in DC. So these are just some really exciting different pieces of the puzzle, which I know for me and us at Convergence are helping to shape the questions we ask and who we might become as a congregation. And maybe that would be useful to you. So I would love to hear from you. If you have questions or you have ideas that you're playing with or just different comments or concerns that are raised by any of these uh, conversations, please send me an email. Uh, my address is lsmith at ourconvergence.org. And be sure to check out the vergenow.org website where we have all of our podcasts, as well as blog posts and case studies from past practices here at Convergence. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.